You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church DC, including our location and gathering times, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com DC. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart, and it's a part of a new series entitled Survival Skills. Well, when I was in high school, my dad and a couple of his buddies decided they wanted to take their sons out into the desert of West Texas. And if you've never been out there, that's not surprising. Nobody goes out there. I mean, literally over hundreds of thousands of square miles, there'll be like 12 people, all right? Uh, There are literally just not many humans out there. There's a lot of scrub brush, a lot of big thorns, a lot of jagged rocks, not a lot of people. And so we went out there just out into the wild. It's crazy. You can drive 85 miles an hour out there. Did you know that's the stated speed on the speed limit signs. They are that worried you're not going to hit another human being. That the government says, go ahead and see how, how your car can, how fast it can go. Uh, so you get out there, but then when you turn off, it's bumpy roads and we go deep, deep, deep into the middle of this desert to spend a couple of days out there. And we had brought some mountain bikes, kids. And so the dads at one point thought, you know, this will be great. We're going to drop the boys off out in the middle of the mountains because we want them to develop some friendship And we're going to drop them off and let them ride, but let's give them some guidelines. And the guidelines they gave us was, hey, stay on the road. Because as you ride on the road, it'll eventually lead you to the place we're staying uh, several miles away. But just stay on the road for safety or we can find you and then be together. Some friendships, some guidelines, and you're good. Let's go. So they drive off in the distance and we're all standing there, me and a couple buddies, and we are fired up because this is wild country. It's all these kind of hills through the desert. And we just envision ourselves like in a Mountain Dew commercial. We're like, we're about to shred West Texas. Like we're standing on top of this hill. We're gonna race down and jump the next one and be like, wow, you know, like it's gonna be crazy. What happened was we stood on top of this hill and we're like, let's ride. And as we went down, we just went, and those big thorns and jagged rocks popped all the tires. And we were like, wow, we didn't even get a single Ollie off a rock before that happened. And it struck us, well, that wasn't very fun. Uh, And then it dawned on us, uh, yeah, okay, so that was our mode of transportation. Uh, So now we're walking out in the desert, and it's very hot, 100-something plus degrees. Uh, We didn't bring water, which was probably going to be a good decision. We didn't do. There's no food. And we just thought, wow, man, this is surprising. I really expected Uh, to live longer, you know, past the age 18. But this is unfortunate that here we are, guys. It's been a good run. And we're looking at each other like, this is bad, you know? Uh, And so we were like, we don't know what to do. I guess we just commenced to walking. And so we just started walking down this desert road in the hopes that one day our fathers would remember us and find us. Uh, Which needless to say, they did. But after that little episode, it dawned on them, oh, some camaraderie and some commands weren't sufficient when the boys got in a little trouble. And so one of the guys uh, was kind of skilled in the desert. And so they realized this guy needs to help us. And so he started giving us not just rules. He started teaching us survival skills. He's like, hey, if this happened again, as we stood on that mountain again, he was like, hey, where would you go? And we were like, oh, freak out, you know, run in circles. He was like, no, look around. What's different out there? And we were like, well, there's only one green tree within eyesight. And he's like, exactly. There's one green tree. And why is it green? And we're like, I don't know. And he's like, because of water. Man, these aren't hard questions. He's like, water 
feeds trees. And so if you go to that tree, you at least get shade. Maybe you get water. And he started teaching stuff like that. That was kind of obvious once he said it. Some of it was intuitive. Like, oh, of course, a tree provides shade, possibly water. That's a smart thing to go. Some of it was intuitive. Some of it was a little less intuitive, but made sense. He was like, see those things that kind of look like fruit? We're like, yeah. And he's like, it's because they are fruit. You can eat them. You just cut them off the cactus and eat them. We're like, oh, okay. Well, that sort of makes sense. Some of it wasn't intuitive at all. He's like, you see that cactus? Yeah. And he's like, you notch a hole in it and you can drink out of it. And I'm like, yeah, we would not have figured that out. Like I would have died from thirst right next to that plant. Just like, my God. And he's like, uh, so I was like, wow, some of it obvious, some of it sort of, some of it not, but all of it essential to survive. And as we looked at that, we're like, wow, man, a little bit of camaraderie and a couple of commandments are not enough to survive in the wild. You need survival skills. And that's what he gave us. What he gave us is wisdom. It's wisdom. And we need that. So I want to try an experiment real quick. Don't get too deep into this, uh, but I want you to turn to the neighbor next to you and I want you to tell them what you feel like you need most right now. And let me just preface by saying, talk to them like you're talking to a friend, not in church, okay? Don't just be like, more of Jesus and less of me. You're like, okay, fine, (laughs) fine. Talk like you're talking to a friend and just whatever comes to your mind. Man, I could really use blank. Just tell the person next to you right now. Man, I could really use this. Go, real quick. All right, all right. Good talk, everybody, good talk. Y'all can pick it up afterwards. I don't know what you all said. It was kind of crazy. But I would guess, if we went around and pulled the room, a lot of what was shared was a shift in circumstances. I need some circumstances to shift, right? I need to get into school. I just need to get into the school. Pray for me, get me into the school. I need to get out of school. I gotta get out. It's too expensive, get me out. I need some more money. I need some roommates. I need to get away from my roommate, right? I need this person at work to notice me. I need to get a raise. I need to get a promotion. I need that person to get fired so I can get a raise and get said promotion. All these different things we might say. I need a snack. I need a nap. I don't know what you said, but I would guess for many of you, it was a change in circumstances. But here's the thing. I would submit to you, what you need most of all in life is not a change in circumstances, right? Because here's the thing. We as human beings are capable of messing up even the most ideal of circumstances. And if you don't believe me, just start watching TMZ, right? Because if ideal circumstances is all you need to be happy and healthy in life, then the most secure and happy people should be in LA and DC, right? And yet you see beautiful, talented, educated, motivated people mess up their lives all the time. And not only are we capable of messing up ideal circumstances, our circumstances are always changing. Your body gets old and the way you work out doesn't work anymore. Suddenly there's a lot more stretching involved, way less fun. I'm told, right? 
Uh, money. Sometimes it's rolling in, sometimes it dries up. Jobs, sometimes they're plentiful, sometimes they're not. Circumstances change all the time. So I would submit to you, what you need most in life right now is not a change in your circumstances. You need the ability to flourish regardless of circumstances. Let me say that again. What you need more most in life right now is not a change in your circumstances. You need the ability to flourish regardless of the circumstances. We couldn't change the desert. Well, if it was just less hot, I wouldn't die out here, right? <laughs> I don't have my hand on that lever to change those circumstances. But I can change my skill level, and my skills can lead me to survive and thrive even in the harshest of climates. Do you see that? What you need is wisdom. It's wisdom. It's interesting. One of my favorite books was written back in the 1600s by a guy named John Bunyan. And it was an allegory of the Christian life, right? A little picture uh, of what it is to be a Christian. So a, he's living in the city of destruction. A man named Evangelist tells him about the narrow road that leads to life. And so he starts on this journey into what is ultimately heaven. But as he's walking along this path, he arrives at the palace called Beautiful. And it's a picture of the church. And he shows up in the community, a place like this. He shows up at the church and there's three women there. And those three women say, you've made it here by grace, but it really looks more like luck. Like you've just kind of stumbled through life. And they're like, we're here to equip you with what you need to succeed. And the ladies' names were piety, prudence, and charity. And those are old English words for more modern words we use. Charity is the word love, right? Piety is the word holiness or righteousness. And prudence is the name wisdom. And what John Bunyan was trying to show us is when you come into the family of God, there's three things you need to survive. You need to love. You need the love of God into your heart and then flowing out of you to your friends and even to your enemies. You need love. You need holiness. Some of the ways you're making decisions are off track and they're hurting others and you. You need to walk in a right way with God. But then the third sister you need too. You need prudence. You need wisdom. And it's not just love. And it's not just law. It's something else entirely. It's figuring out how to navigate the world well. And what I've realized in the short time we've been a church is as I interact with many people here, most of your questions are wisdom questions. Not many people ask me the theology questions, the, the questions I spent a lot of money learning in seminary. You don't ask me those, right? No one does. And not many people ask me right or wrong questions, right? Is it right or wrong to punch my roommate? Nobody asks me that. People ask wisdom questions. Should I date this person or not date this person? Should I take this job or not take that job? Should I move to Dallas or should I stay in DC? We ask those kinds of questions. And let me tell you something. Sometimes those aren't in here. They're not in your education. Some of you are so well-educated. You got masters, doctorates, and none of those are gonna help you answer the most important questions of your life or where you're gonna live, what you're gonna do, and who you're gonna marry, right? Your education will help you make a better living. It will not help you live better. It didn't equip you for life. You spent a lot of money on it. I relate. So did I, right? And so some of us go, some of the biggest questions in life, I don't have answers for. And so what a lot of people do is they look for a technique. How can I figure it out? How can I manipulate the stars to find an answer? And they're like, God, should I move to Dallas or not? <laughs> and Shamgar smote the Philistines with an ox goad. That's, that sounds kind of Dallas, right? And you know, we kind of look for a technique. 
And sometimes they didn't give that to you. Look, for me, I remember when I was trying to pick out what college to go to, right? I didn't have a lot of guidance. And so I would pray that, like, Lord, show me what college I'm supposed to go to. Show me what college I'm supposed to go to. And I, I was waiting for him to be like, in-state tuition is a sensible call. You know, and I'm like, all right, I'm picking up what you're putting down, all right? And I'm not saying God can't meet you in supernatural ways, but I'm saying many of you find often he doesn't. And for some of you, you've been disappointed by that. You're like, well, maybe God doesn't like me or maybe all this is a sham, maybe it doesn't work. But what you find is in the middle of your Bible, in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job, you have this whole section of literature called wisdom literature where you're looking for revelation. Just tell me and I'll do it, revelation. Tell me and I'll do it. And God says, no, I want you to work the muscle of wisdom. I'm gonna force you to figure out how to make choices, right? And it's fascinating. This book, if you look at it, it says these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And this is particularly relevant to us in here. Saul was the first king of Israel, not a great guy. Immoral, really hurt the nation. David was the second king and the best. King David pushed back their enemies, brought peace to the kingdom, consolidated the tribes into one kingdom, found their capital city, a great successful king. And after he built up the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, as he was dying, he handed off the keys to the kingdom to Solomon, Solomon, his son. And Solomon in this moment gets this powerful moment in 1 Kings chapter three, where he's, he's praying, he's meeting with God, and then he falls asleep. And in a dream, he dreams God comes to him and says, what do you want? What do you need? And in 1 Kings 3, he says, O Lord, my God, you've made, me servant, you have made your servant the king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Your servant's in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too many of them to be numbered or counted for multitudes. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? And God responds to him and says, you just asked for wisdom. Understanding, insight, to govern, you asked for wisdom. And God says, because you didn't ask for power, because you didn't ask for fame and wealth, I'm gonna hook you up with all that, right? And Solomon becomes the most successful king while he's walking with the Lord in the nation's history, powerfully builds up the nation, and he becomes known as the wisest person. So wisdom literature was all over the ancient world. We have found ancient tablets from Egypt and other cultures. But by the end of Solomon's life, people from wisdom cultures were coming to learn from Solomon. And he wrote thousands of proverbs. The word proverb means comparison. And I'm gonna show you something. And as you put your life up against it, you find insight. And so you have the wisest man that ever lived writing down things that if I can get my mind around them, they will help me lead. What's interesting is what drew Solomon Solomon to need that as he realized, I have to work in the government and I need wisdom to work in the government. And so he wrote this. And as you look at ancient literature, a wisdom literature, it was primarily written for young people, not children, people who were able to marry and have sex, because that shows up a lot in the book. About one out of every three verses, if you do the calculus, is about romance and sex. Surprise. And so, so we're going somewhere there. But it's written for young people who were about to go in service in the nation's capital. So I know it's hard to imagine how we're going to apply this to our modern day. <laughs> we'll try to make some correlations. No, but that's who it's written for. It's written for young people who are given stewardship and I've got to figure out how to do it well. What's different about the book of Proverbs, though, is it doesn't say to people in the king's court. At the beginning, it's to anybody. And you see wisdom when she's personified as a woman says, I'll call out to the fool. I stand on the streets. Anyone want to get wise? You come with me. 
And so nation of Israel democratized wisdom. Anybody, no matter what you're doing in this room, can grow wiser, right? But we got to answer three questions before we get out of here and launch into the series deal. The first one is, okay, Ben, you've kind of built it up. What is wisdom exactly? Why do I need it? And then how do I get it? Well, what is wisdom? That word wisdom in Hebrew, if you want the word, is the word hokmah. And the word hokmah, if you want to be wooden in the translation, means the word skill. Skill. It's actually used in other places in the Old Testament, like Exodus 28, about skill in weaving clothes. It's about fashion, right? Somebody making the priestly garments. And say, hey, let's find someone to make the priest garment that has skill, has wisdom, as it relates to fabric. And you go, what do they mean by that? Well, you mean somebody that understands fabric, can discern the subtle distinctions in fabric, and then is able to do something with it, is able to manipulate it to make it into something better. You need someone with understanding that can come at it, understand the distinctions of it, and then work within it, right? It's knowing something, understanding it, and possessing the ability to move in it successfully, right? Now, it's interesting, Derek Kidner says in this beginning part of Proverbs, I don't know if you noticed that, there's a pileup of all these synonyms that are sort of like the word wisdom. And he says, what Solomon's doing is it's like he's taking a prism up to the light of the word wisdom and breaking wisdom into its component parts. And you get all these different words like knowledge and insight and prudence and wise dealings, but they give you the secret of what wisdom is if you're paying attention. Knowledge is knowing things. I know something about it. But wisdom isn't just knowledge. We all know that person that's book smart, but you're not sure that they could even microwave a meal for themselves. Do you know that person? Like they maybe live with you and they work at NASA and you're like, you're gonna build a rocket. You're gonna send us to Mars. I really don't know if you're gonna make it to the Metro or not though. Like I'm scared for you. (laughs) Did you blow out all the candles? Why don't you check again? Why don't I come over? Because you're going to change the universe if you don't burn your house down, and that's a solid if, right? We all know those people. Or there's tenured professors that will destroy their lives with immoral sexual practices. Just because you have a lot of knowledge does not make you wise. So knowledge is a part of wisdom, but it's not all of it. But you get knowledge. I know how something works. You get insight. I understand it. The word insight literally means to divide between. I can see the subtle distinctions I don't just know generally about something. I know very specifically about it. It was interesting. When I injured my back and was on the floor for months, I just had to watch TV forever because I couldn't sleep at night, two hours a night. So I'm watching tons of TV. And I remember my wife, while I was in pain, laying on the floor, she bought uh, the movie 27 Dresses Home. And I think I recall saying something like, I'm already in hell and now you bring this. (laughs) It's not the loving, husbandly thing to say. It was the drug stalking. But, so she brought home all these like mixed martial arts videos. And I was like, okay. So I would lay in bed at night, or excuse me, on the floor at night and just watch men punch other men. And I'm like, all right, these are just dudes hitting other dudes. But there was an announcer sort of explaining what they would do. And there was one guy that was the best fighter in the world out there. And you saw he was facing the best boxer ever. And as they got into the ring together, you could tell he was trying to get him to the ground and couldn't do it, like wrestling with him and couldn't do it and wrestling and couldn't do it. But then in the second round, third round, fourth round, he just destroyed this guy. I mean, ugly, like, please stop. His mom might be watching, fight him, right? And they interviewed him afterwards. Hey, what happened in round one? You looked like you were struggling. And he said, no, I knew he was a better boxer than me. 
because he has very quick punches. And so I would hold him. So he kept trying to push me off with his shoulders. It made the blood go to his shoulders, making his arms weaker and slower. And then I was able to destroy him. And I remember as he said that, the announcer was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you don't just have basic knowledge of punch the guy in front of you. You have, you have insight, discernment. If I can get enough blood in your shoulders, you can't punch me. Who thinks like that, right? The wise. <laughs> I see the subtle distinctions. But I don't just see it from the armchair. Oh man, he should really hold his shoulders, right? The guy on TV is not winning the belt. You also have to have the ability to do something with that information. That's what the word prudence or wise dealings means. It means cunning, shrewdness. I know how to make moves, right? It can be used for evil. The serpent in Genesis chapter three is used this way. And yet you see uh, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says it's prudence and wise dealings in what? In righteousness and justice and equity. True wisdom is bounded by morality. It's not just morality, but it's not less than morality. Ultimately, it's unwise to be immoral in your business practices. It will catch up with you. Ultimately, it's unwise to be immoral in your marriage. It'll cost you your marriage, right? But wisdom, it involves morality, righteousness, doing what's good for the community, justice, restoring those who've been oppressed and hurt, right? Equity, making sure it's smooth and level, that everybody gets a shot. Wisdom leads to a community that does right by people, brings justice to those who've been oppressed, brings equity to those who've not had it. There's a morality that binds wisdom, but wisdom is more than just morality. It's knowledge, it's insight, and prudence. It's knowing what things are, knowing how they work, and knowing what to do about it. And when you see somebody that has that, it's masterful, whatever you're watching. If you're watching a carpenter take wood and understand how to take a tree and make it into your mid-century modern coffee table, that's wisdom. I know about wood. I understand subtle distinctions of how to work within the grains and not across them. And I have the skill to do something with it to make it beautiful. You see, dancers do that, knowing what movements are attractive, knowing how to put those movements together that are arresting for us. Some of you think you're good at dancing, but it doesn't help us what you're doing out there. Others, I remember showing up at a wedding and there were some ballerinas there and one of them got the mic afterwards and it's like, our gift for the husband and wife is a dance. And I was like, oh, stop. Like that, that just to me sounded so silly. I was like, oh, really? My gift's a dance too. Huh? Yeah, yeah, no. But then they turned on this music and started dancing and it was the most beautiful, artistic, expressive. Like I started crying. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, oh my gosh. Like, oh, stop, stop. I was like, they understand a whole arena I'm unfamiliar with. They know it. They know the subtle distinctions of when to point your toes and they have the ability to pull it off. And it's beautiful, right? When you see someone that's wise, a musician that knows how to play the right notes in the right moment, they understand it. They have the little distinctions down and they have the skill to work within it. That's called wisdom and it's beautiful for us. When you see someone that's wise, a comedian that has great timing to tell the right joke or a business leader that always seems to know the right decision and the right time knows the right person to hire, but does it in the right way. When you watch someone have not only just make good decisions, but make them in good timing, you go, that's amazing. It's like you're marching to a beat of an ancient drum that I don't know, but I'm somehow drawn to. You're in sync with the rhythm of the universe, and they are. That's what wisdom is. 
knowledge, insight, and prudence, knowing how the world works and knowing how to work within it. It's competency in the complexities of life. And it's flowing with a rhythm that God has woven into the world. You see it in Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3.19, God is talking about wisdom and wisdom becomes personified as a woman. And it says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding established the heavens. By knowledge, the deep broke open and the clouds dropped down with dew. When God was making the world, when he was fashioning into creation, he put wisdom into it. And then it says of wisdom personified as a woman in verse 317, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. And that word peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's the Hebrew word shalom, the fullness of blessing. There's a rhythm to the world. In physical laws, rain falls down, water the crops, the crops grow, animals eat them, and you see a rhythm that brings life. And we step into that rhythm. There is a time to plant and there is a time to harvest. We don't get to manipulate weather, but as we work within it, we succeed, right? There's physical laws like that. And there are also relational laws of how we deal with people. If you're mean to people, you will not have many friends. If you lie to people, less will trust you, right? They're undisputable. You don't get to change that. Well, maybe lying will make me friends, maybe in the short term, but you can't beat the system, right? In the long term, there's a rhythm to the world and all of her ways are peace. God wove shalom into the world and the wise people are the people who are on board with that rhythm. We don't have techniques to manipulate the world, but we can have wisdom to navigate it successfully. That's what the Wright brothers did. You know, the Wright brothers, Invented the airplane, early 1900s, family owned a bicycle shop, little boys, Orville and Wilbur, built a wind tunnel out back, right? One of them would ride a little bicycle to make this wind tunnel turn. And they had a theory. They were like, you know what? Boats, big, heavy boats, if they pick up speed on the water, they can plane out. You get up enough velocity and it displaces some of the weight. Man, you can plane on top of water. What if you could plane on top of air? What if we could have a heavy vehicle plane on air? What if we made an air plane? <laughs> and they began to study and they basically worked out the laws of aerodynamics in their parents' backyard, right? And so when they showed up at Kitty Hawk, it wasn't luck. It wasn't one of them with wings strapped on like, so you think this is really gonna work? Okay, say a prayer for me, pray blessings on my life. Hey, yeah, that wasn't it. They had studied the way nature worked and figured out how to work within it. And what happened? They soared. They didn't defy nature, they worked in it. They didn't say, I think I'll try defying gravity. That's not gonna go great for you. Why? Because gravity's gonna win. So in make-believe shows, Maybe you can defy gravity. You try it now, gravity's gonna win 10 times out of 10. You can't defy gravity and think that's gonna go well. So they didn't defy nature. What happened? They figured out how to work within it. And as they understood it, saw the subtle distinctions, they figured out how to operate within it. And what happened? They soared. And so do we. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is not wisdom about wind, not wisdom about punching people, not wisdom about that. It's skills for life. It skills relationally. How do I handle the opposite sex? How do I handle a boss? How do I handle friendships? How do I handle money? What I'm trying to do in the series we're gonna jump into is make you a sage at every stage. I wanna make you a master at life and we need it, right? 
Proverbs 27 says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Some of you, you you're, you're holy, you're pure, you're a sweet, righteous person, but you're wondering, why am I not advancing in my career? Huh? What, what is it? Am I being oppressed? No, it's that you're just too loud in the morning, right? There's not a law against it. The book of Proverbs is not laws. They're principles for life. And so you need this. Why? Because whoever blesses your neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted cursing. You're just too preppy or peppy, right? You got to dial it down a shade. Some of you, Proverbs 25 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you lack self-control, you can be a wise person, amazing person. But walls for an ancient city is what gave them security and allowed them to flourish. If the walls broke down, then people could come in and steal their people, their goats, their crops at any time. And so you were never able to advance because you were never safe, right? And some of you, you might be so smart. You're brilliant. You're smarter than all your friends, right? And you don't tell them that, but they kind of know it and you kind of know it, and that's where we are, right? But you lack self-control in some key areas, and it has cost you for decades. And you need wisdom. You need wisdom. Meriwether Lewis walked on foot from Washington, D.C. to the West Coast and back when America was unmapped, trained in the White House and walked across an unmapped continent. That is amazing. But when he got back here, he didn't know how to handle fame and he didn't know how to handle women. And so he started to drink excessively. He couldn't get married because he didn't know how to talk to girls. And so he wrote in his journal, I have never felt less like a hero than at this moment. And he took his own life. You can be powerful in your career, but if you don't have wisdom in relationships, you're not going to win at life. We need wisdom. Some of you, you are smart, talented, sharp, beautiful, and you can't find a date. And you know what? It may be because you're not wise. You're like, I got no game. This book's going to help you, right? Why do you need it? Because you don't have it. It says in verse four, to give prudence to the simple, Knowledge and discretion to the youth. That word simple doesn't mean you lack the hardware. It just means you don't have the files. You don't know. We're not born wise. And if you thought, well, I don't know. I think I was already sharp when I was a kid. You probably weren't. You were probably just like every kid I've met, trying to figure out what a fork does in a light socket. I've realized that with my kids. I'm like, y'all really need me. Like, I know I read that places, like kids need their parents man, y'all need us, right? Like this is critical, right? And it's the same with all of us. You need wisdom. You need people to show you how to move. You needed that in the city to show you how to get from A to B. And you need it relationally. You need it with money. You need it in places. Why? Because we are not naturally wise, but the world is a dangerous place. There are people that will want to take advantage of you. There are people that are not safe to be around. And it's interesting to watch with my kids having to tell them that. Say, hey, there, there are moments where you can't, run out into the street because they may not see you. Or there may be some people you don't run up and hug because mommy and daddy don't know them and you can't do that. And that's a hard thing to have to teach a child, but I have to because they don't know any better and the world's not a safe place, right? And the world is filled with tools that are powerful for us. Money, sex, power, they're tools. It's interesting, I read an article years ago about the Boy Scouts. They banned knives from the Boy Scouts because they said, we don't want any weapons at our Boy Scout meetings. 
And I remember talking with a group of young men from Texas and telling them they got to surrender their knives in Texas. I mean, that's like, that's crazy. But anyway, that's a different thing. Uh, So I asked them, is a knife a weapon? Is a knife a weapon? And the answer is, it depends on who's using it and if they're guided by wisdom. I wanted my surgeon to have a knife. It's going to make things way easier. But I wanted him to be skilled and responsible in how he uses it. There are other people that I don't want to have knives because they won't use it to bring life. They'll use it to take it. Do you see that? Knife's just a tool. It's how you use it. Money, sex, power, friendship, bosses, employees, you have power. And you can use it in a way that brings life or takes away life. But you need wisdom to handle powers like that. And you never outgrow that. That's why verse 5 says that the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. You never outgrow the need for wisdom. Justin Timberlake was asked by Oprah, how did you become a master of pop? And he said, the secret to being a master is to always be a beginner. He said, it's to understand that you never stop learning. And there's always a place to learn. The young need it, and the wise can increase in their learning. So how do you get it? Let's close with how do you get wisdom? Let me give you three things. Number one is commitment. Commitment. It's interesting, the verse book opens with that invitation to know wisdom. But that word know in Hebrew is not just a cognitive understanding. To know in Hebrew is to meld yourself with something. The information and the informed become one. It's about taking something deep into you. It's about committing myself to a body of knowledge. That same word is used as a husband and wife coming together in the Old Testament. That word know has a deeply personal contact. What that means is you don't just put your toe into wisdom. You don't just pick it up a piece at a time. You can't be wise with money, but not in relationships. That'll ruin your life. You can't be wise in relationships and unwise with your boss or in work environments. That won't work well. You need commitment to the whole process of wisdom. We don't play with it. We make the commitment to enter in. It's Mr. Miyagi. When he asked Daniel, son, are you ready to learn karate? What did Daniel say? I guess so. And what did Miyagi do? He said, you stand on this side of the road, you're safe. This side of the road, safe. You stand in the middle, like a grape. He says, karate, yes, or karate, no. Karate, guess so, like a grape. It's like, you don't play games, right, with karate. You're either in or you're out. You decide, right? Or as Yoda said, do or do not. There is no try, right? You got to decide. Am I committed to learn? Proverbs says it this way, like a lame man's legs which hang useless is the proverb in the mouth of a fool. You got something good, but you can't use it. And so just having knowledge, but not using it, you're not gonna become wise. You'll be a fool. You'll just be with a fool that knows a cute saying. So there's a commitment level. Am I committed to learn wisdom? Not only is there commitment, there's discipline. It says to learn wisdom and instruction. That word instruction is also in different places translated as discipline. It means you gotta work. It means that wisdom is something that you've got to work to get. That's why it calls the Proverbs riddles. You have to think about them a little bit. You've got to ponder them a little bit. What exactly does that mean, right? That I've got to work to know instruction. And so here's how we want to help you as a church. We want to do a Bible reading plan, and we're launching it 
tomorrow. There are 31 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom, or excuse me, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And so we're going to be in this series in this month and, and kind of rework it a bit next month. And so we want to challenge you over about an eight-week period to read half of a chapter a day. Half a chapter a day is not hard, right? But we want to challenge you to make that commitment to say, I'm going to think about it. And if you want to, you can text in here the word Proverbs, and we will text the chapters to you. We will actually text you the Proverbs. That is putting the cookies on the very bottom shelf, right? That is barely making you work for wisdom. Ray had to find an ancient island to find Luke Skywalker. We are literally putting the lightsaber on the bottom shelf onto your own phone. Okay. Uh, so text into that and go on this journey with us. Say, hey, I've never read a book of the Bible. Some of you, but you go, but for the next couple of weeks, I'll read half a chapter a day and I'll read through the whole book of Proverbs and maybe pick up wisdom. That's pretty smart. That's not a bad way to do it. Uh, that I seek after it like silver, hunt for it like treasure, that I move towards it. But the last thing it requires is humility. And if you notice, the verbs are to receive instruction, to obtain guidance, literally means to learn the ropes. It says in Proverbs 15, it's humility that comes before honor. See, the truth is, you work to understand it, but it has to be given to you. That's the interesting dichotomy about Proverbs. I work to position myself to learn, but it has to be given as a gift. And that's where this opener ends. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. That I have to understand as the basic principle, and it doesn't mean beginning like the starting blocks you leap from, it means beginning like the foundation you're gonna build a wise life on. The foundation of all this is a fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord, you go, what does that mean? I don't wanna fear God, I've got some re religion baggage, and you're telling me I gotta fear God, what does that mean? It's not helpful to study the word fear and Lord in separation. That'll get you to the wrong place. Like taking the word butterfly and breaking it up and studying butter and flies and thinking you're gonna land there. You're not gonna do it. Fear of the Lord is a statement all through the Old Testament. And you know where it always shows up? In a moment where God himself speaks. God says, this is the path of righteousness. Walk in it. This is the way of life. Follow it and you'll be blessed. Obey my commands and find life and honor. You see the fear of the Lord. When the Lord speaks, the fear of the Lord is people who say, I want to listen. I want to hear it. I want to revere you enough to take you seriously. That's what it means. I want to listen to you and believe you know more about reality than I do. I want to admit as a foundational principle, there is a God and I'm not it. That's the foundation of wisdom, that God made the world and he made it to work in a certain way. I don't get to change the world. I don't get to change how my roommate behaves. I don't get to change how my parents raised me. I don't get to change some of how society works, but I can change me. And if I submit to the God who made this world, he's gonna show me how to walk in time with his rhythm and I'll succeed in this life. It's the humble who attain honor, but it's the fool who's wise in his own eyes. But the secret is, are you willing to humble yourself? Dr. Strange. Made a lot of money. Probably because it was Benedict Cumberbatch and who doesn't love Benedict? He's such a wonderful human. If you didn't see the movie, big question that comes up in it. How does Benedict Cumberbatch become a master of the mystic arts? Let me tell you how it starts. Not well at the beginning. He's a doctor and he's arrogant. 
He's rude. And people who are arrogant can't be taught anything. If you find yourself when people offer you advice saying, I know, I know, I know, I know. In the book of Proverbs, you're a fool. Surprise. Because fools delight in airing their own opinions. But a fool will not listen. The wise understand as they listen, they'll grow wiser still. So he's a fool at the beginning. Even though he's wealthy, successful, driving an awesome car, great watch, he's a rich, successful fool. And he thinks the world has to bow to me. And what he realizes is gravity doesn't. And so you can't drive however you want. Your car is going to go over a cliff and destroy your hands. And what happens? He has to be brought low. And before he can become a master, he's broken, humble. And he finds himself at the feet of the master. And he realizes, I don't know anything about how the world works, reality works. I don't know anything. And so the big pivot in the movie is where this wise, successful man realizes, I'm not wise at all, I'm a fool. And in humility, he kneels and says, teach me. And it's there at that low point, scraggly beard, messed up hair, ripped up clothes, nothing to offer, where he comes in humility, acknowledging, I don't know the right way to move. I don't know the right decisions to make. I thought I knew it. It's my body. It's my life. It's my decisions. It's my world. I've realized that as I do that, I run into friction in this world. I don't plane out on the rhythm of the world. And God, I'm tired of smacking my head against reality. So you know what? There is a God and I'm not it. So I come in humility and say, teach me, teach me. The wise in the book of Proverbs is the person who admits they're a fool. The wise is the person who admits they need teaching. And as you admit you're a fool, you go racing down the path of wisdom. Now, let me close with this. Some of you hear that and you go, well, Ben, the book of Proverbs promises so much. If I do this, good will result. If I handle money this way, I will get a return and a harvest. If I train my children in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. But you know what? Some kids rebel. Sometimes people cheat you out of money. Sometimes someone breaks into your house. So where are your Proverbs now? Well, God wrote wrote wisdom into the world and all of its ways are shalom. When we broke faith with God as humanity in Genesis chapter three, we broke shalom. We broke the peace. And so now the book of Proverbs gives us guiding principles that work. If you work out, you'll gain muscle and get in shape. That's not in Proverbs, but that is a proverb. You work out, you'll get in shape. But some people may say, what if I work out and get hit by a bus? That's possible. But that doesn't negate the principle that if you don't work out, you're never going to get in shape. So there's exceptions to the rules, but the Proverbs gives us principles. And yet you'll see men like at the very end of the book of Proverbs, Agur, one of the wisest men who lived, the text says. He says, I'm stupider than any man. I don't have the understanding of a man. Neither have I learned wisdom, nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. He says, you know what? I can study the world and gain wisdom, but sometimes the system breaks. I can do everything right and sometimes things not work out. So what do I do? And in his frustration in Proverbs 30, he says, who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who's gathered the wind into his fist? Who's wrapped the waters in his garment? Who's established the ends of the earth? What's his name? What's his son's name? And that's where he ends. He says, you know, I can gain wisdom by studying books, by watching nature, but ultimately wisdom is relational. And I need to know the person who made this place. I need to know the person who controls the water and the wind. What's his name? What's his son's name? And the text falls silent. Generations later, 
In John chapter three, the teacher Nicodemus will come to Jesus looking for wisdom, acknowledging he's a wise man. Jesus looks at him and says to him, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses is lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus does something so interesting in that moment. Nicodemus says, I can tell you're a wise man. And Jesus says, you have no idea. I am the one who ascended and descended. I'm the son Agur was looking for who can make sense of your pain. Agur couldn't understand why Shalom breaks down. I'll give you the secret. I will take the consequences of your broken peace onto myself. I will become the prince of peace. And how will I do it? I will do it by taking the brokenness of the world on me. Like Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so I will be lifted up that whoever believes in me has life. Ultimately, wisdom is relational. It's humility before a person. It's saying, I don't run this place, but you do. Jesus chided that generation because he says, when Solomon began to speak wisdom, even the queen of the South, a nation famous for wisdom, came to learn at Solomon's feet. And Jesus says, one more wise than Solomon is now here. We have the greater wisdom. We have the person to follow, the son of man, Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom, right? That if you decide today, I wanna walk with him. I wanna trust him. I'm gonna read his word and learn how to navigate this world. And when life doesn't go my way, I'm going to trust he guides all of it. He holds the waters and the winds in his hand. And then when I look at the brokenness of my own life, I'm going to trust that what he did about it was definitive. That he looks out and says, you did break shalom. You did break peace. But I marched into Jerusalem, the city of peace, and I purchased peace through my blood on the cross. I'm the hero, the son of man who ascended and has descended, that whoever believes in me would have life and whoever walks with me would have wisdom. Are you willing to go on the journey, to humble yourself before a king like that who gave all for you? I promise if you do it, you'll live a way better life than you were living a few weeks ago. Why? Because the master of the universe is offering to be our teacher. Are you humble enough to listen? If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. Hey there, my name is Jason Diba, and if you're a fan of the Passion City Church DC podcast, which is what you just listened to, then you should check out the Passion Podcast. There were protocols apparently you were meant to follow at that moment, but there was a contingent of people who thought the old meat tastes better than the new meat. In your life, it was as if someone set my hair on fire. One of those people 
would be David Crowder. And that was the last time I led in a wrestling ring. Okay, let's see if we can make it happen. Up close interviews with Louis Giglio, Christian Stanfill, artists, speakers, culture makers, and more. Relationships are more like sailing a ship than building a desk from Ikea. It's not just our freedom that's at stake. It's God's glory that's at stake. Surrender is the path to greatness in the kingdom of God. We do the outrageous things because we believe there's an extraordinary gospel. The college generation singing at the top of their lungs to Jesus. And that's why Goliath must fall. Go ahead and search and subscribe now to an all-new season of the Passion Podcast.